back to our series. I started the series uh, uh, three times ago on the love of God. Question is, how's your love life? The thing that should uh, set us apart from the from everybody else is the fact that we love. Jesus said, "By love, all men will know you are my disciples." And I don't know about you, but it's a sad thing to me. Let, let me make a, let me ask you this question: um, When people think about you, would they think about you being a person that loves them? I thought that would go over big. It makes you think, right? Or let me, let me say it a different way. A believer in any crowd should be the most loving person there. Does that make you think? So I don't know about you, but this is a subject I have struggled with my whole life as a believer. It's the hardest thing I ever do. You know, when I preach on faith, when I preach on healing, when I preach on the promises of God, we all get excited and go hip, hip, hooray. But when I talk about love, it gets quiet. And why does it? It's because it hits us right where we live. Is that true? And honestly, if you're like me, this is the hardest thing I ever do is to let the love of Jesus exude through me. Is that your challenge and experience as well? I was just thinking on the way in today, Romans 8 7 says this, the carnal mind or the mind of the flesh is, several translations say it differently. One translation says is enmity against God. Another translation says it probably better is hostile to God. How many your mind, how many know your mind is hostile to God? And then it says your mind is not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. Now what is the law of God? The law of God is the law of love. Is that true? The religious people of Jesus Day, we mentioned several weeks ago, they uh, came to Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus mentioned two loves. He said, love the Lord your God with everything in you, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two principles hang all of the law and all of the commandments. So when Paul said in Romans 8, the, the mind of the flesh or the unrenewed mind is hostile to God for it's not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. What does that tell you? Your biggest struggle. My biggest struggle, your biggest struggle, is loving God with everything inside of you. That is keeping your flesh down. And my second biggest struggle is loving others the way that Jesus loves me. Yes or no? So, obviously, it gets quiet when you're talking about stuff like that. So, uh, you know, we've spent uh, several Sundays. Last time I spoke on this, I talked about four different kinds of love that we experience as human beings going from the Greek words for love. Greek language is very expressive, much more expressive than the English language, and it takes more words to identify, and, they go, and it's more specific. So when we talk about love, we amalgamate love with animate, inanimate objects, but the Greeks did it differently. They had a Greek word for love, which meant friendship love. We experience that. They have another word that just means a love of feeling or a love of family. Then they have another word for love, and we talked about those the last time, which is, a, a, which is a, a, a sexual attraction to the opposite sex. That's a love that human beings experience, and it's not the act of sex, it's just simply the attraction to the opposite sex. And we talked about how those interplay in our lives, and then we talked about the, the most important kind of love that is unnatural and it's non-human. It's a divine love, and it's called, the Greek word is agape. Everybody say agape. And it's unconditional, and it's self-sacrificial. And what's really cool, I think, about the Bible is that uh, the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit, came on him, 
as he was writing a letter to the a church in Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians 13, he really waxed eloquent and he gave us a description of what this unselfish, unconditional, self-sacrificial love looks like. And y'all, these are the, this is the portion of scripture in my life that I've probably perhaps read more than any and it challenges me more than any. So how many want a good challenge today on, on this uh, holiday weekend? So here we are. Here's Amplified New Testament. You can find 15 characteristics of love and they were 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 through the first part of, uh, of verse 8. And Amplified New Testament, I think, does it so well. I want to read that and just bounce right into it and see, see if we can get through seven of them today of these characteristics. Uh, verse 4, Amplified New Testament, the Apostle Paul said, Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor bowls over with jealousy. It is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited arrogant and inflated with pride it gets real quiet now it's not rude unmannerly and does not act unbecomingly love god's love in us does not insist on its own rights or its own way for it is not self-seeking it's not touchy or fretful or resentful it takes no account of the evil done to it, pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Isn't that awesome? And he ends it by saying, love never fails, never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. I don't know about you, but that's challenging to me. Does that challenge you? And you know what happens if you read your Bible the right way? When I read, I read slow. I, I, I've I told you I've taken some speed reading courses in my life, and so I can read fairly fast and um, but when I read my Bible, I slow down and I'm always asking myself, Lord, is there something that you have promised me that I can grasp and, and make part of my life? Is there uh, something I'm doing I need to stop doing? Is there something I'm not doing that I need to start doing? Is there an attitude in me that needs to change? Is there a motivation for life that, that I really need to make a change in? And I ask myself that constantly. And often, you know, if you read your Bible the right way, you're not just running it through it and checking off your year by one year Bible, going through the Bible in a year. No, no, you're, you're saying sometimes you got to stop and say, you know, God, I am not doing that. I don't know how many times I've read this and I've just been stumped. I say, God, I'm having a problem here. And as we go through this, you're going to find certain areas you think you're doing okay, but then something will happen. You'll stumble and fail and you'll say, God, I need your help. How many know love is a challenge? How many know love is God? He, I mean, it's a God thing. So there's 15 things. Let's start. We'll see if we can get through the first seven today. Number one here, love is willing to suffer a long time. Love suffers long. Again, Amplified says love endures long and is patient and kind. That word love suffers long. Other translations say, say it love is patient. There are two Greek words in the New Testament for patience. One is patience in circumstances. 
And it means to be able to bear up and stay up when life tries to put you down. We'll talk about that in another day. But then there's another word for patience in the, in the New Testament, macrothemia. Macros means long and thumos means heated. And, and somebody translated it, the ability to burn a long time. Have you ever had anybody, how about this week? Have you had anybody say something, do something, or act in a way that just aggravated you to the core? And heated you up, and you started stomping your feet? Huh? Or inside you're stomping, you can't say anything, but it's like, hmm. Maybe the boss said something, or maybe your spouse said something, maybe your child did something, maybe a friend didn't follow through on their word. How many know we all are challenged with suffering long? How many hear what I'm saying? So this is the willingness to restrain yourself for the sake of another, or another person said, it's uh, the willingness, or it's giving up your own rights and your own privileges. That's tough, isn't it? So that hits at the core of who we are really as Americans and as humans. Uh, the fourth century church father, one guy said this, John Chrysostom said, said that this word, Long-suffering is used of those who are wronged and have it easily in their power to avenge themselves, and yet they don't do it. That's a person that's long-suffering. So long-temperedness, someone else called it, enables you to put up with those who do things that are hurtful and um, offensive and not just put up with it, but smile at them while you're putting up with it. What do you think? Uh, I got this from William Barclay. He's, a, he's an English theologian. Uh, it was said of, um, of, of Abraham Lincoln, one of the great presidents of the United States, that he had what today would be, uh, would be the Secretary of Defense, uh, Edwin Stanton. And this guy derailed him. He derided Abraham Lincoln while he was running for president. He derided him. I mean, called him all kinds of names, slandered his name, constantly mocking him, constantly criticizing him, constantly, I mean, just calling him awful names. He called him a clown. He called him just all kinds of, of, of outlandish things. And it is said that Abraham Lincoln said absolutely nothing in return. In fact, when he became president, he was looking for a secretary of defense, and he actually chose this man who you would call his enemy, Edwin Stanton. And this man served him many years. He said nothing about the accusations and the terrible, terrible verbiage that he was assaulted with from this man. The years wore on. This man was his secretary of defense for many years. And then as uh, William Barclay says, the night came when the assassin's bullet murdered Lincoln in the theater, in that little room to which the president's body was taken, stood Stanton. And looking down on Lincoln's silent face, he said through his tears, there lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. And see, uh, William Barclay said it, the patience of love had conquered in the end. How many times this past week have you had somebody say something or do something that aggravates you to the core? What did you do when you had that feeling? Did you act on it and say something in return that was just a little bit worse? Or did you smile? Or did you say nothing in return like Abraham Lincoln did? Love suffers long. See, God's placed 
macrothemia, that long-temperedness inside. And you know what? I don't know about you, but I have to act on it constantly. Do you? You know why? We have expectations of people. We give people responsibilities. Or we, we're around people and we think because of the kind of person they are in our life, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a relative, maybe it's a church member, maybe it's a fellow volunteer at church. And you have expectations built up in your mind of what that person should do, how they should act, how they should treat you or how they should fulfill responsibilities towards you or none at all. And you know what? When they don't do it, how many know you can get really mad? How many like me have to deal with anger? You know, anger's been, a, I used to be real, anger's been a real problem with me since I was a little boy. I used to beat the side of my car working on it when I was a teenager because I couldn't get the bolt off or I couldn't get this to do just right. Or my bicycle, I just throw the thing on the ground. And when I came to the Lord, Mitt said, son, you've got to temper yourself. And then when people didn't do what I liked, I could chew. And I've learned I'm a wordsmith. I can use nice big words. And I can, I can one-up them word-wise. And you know what? You might win the conversation, but you will not win the battle unless you love. And that's what Abraham Lincoln did. How many hear me? He just loved. So, you know, let me just say this. Often God has such a, an uncanny way of doing things that He'll place you right with the people you like the least because He wants to maximize His potential in you. And he does that by creating a rub that really, and that rub creates friction. And that friction creates angst. Thumos, you heat up. You're ready to say something. He says, keep it. Love them. Buy them lunch. Do something nice for them. How many hear what I'm saying? So ask yourself the question, am I a patient person? If you say, God, give me more patience, just expect for people that you don't that you don't like the way they do life to surround you, you'll hit them at every corner when you go to do some, do business here or there or when you're in your everyday life, you'll find them at every turn and God will be saying to you, "Cool your jets and love them." How many hear me? Number 2, love treats people kindly. Everybody say kindly. Again, the scripture says love is kind. And this kindness is a, an unusual word. It's not a passive word. It's a kindness that is active and not passive. So it's, a, it's the ability to show an active interest in someone and do something for them. This kindness is more than just a benign smile at someone. It actually goes a step further and does something to help and improve their life. So for instance, I mean, I've tried to place myself I tried to place myself in the room and I, I spoke a few weeks ago about Judas, but think about Judas and the disciples. They're in the room at the Last Supper and um, they're all leaning, you know, on the couch and they don't sit in chairs. They're laying on the floor and they're leaning up on one elbow and they're talking and, you know, talking about the week and this and that and the other. And, uh, and Jesus just leans over and he knows full well that Judas is going to betray him. He knows that Judas is about to go to the authorities and rat on him. And on purpose, he takes a piece of bread, dips it in that mixture of olive oil and stuff, and he hands it to Judas. He says, God bless you, Judas. You're a fine man. I love you, God. Whew. I don't know about you. That would be hard for me to do. Would it you? I mean, I, I, I would say, Judas, are you stupid? I mean, what do you think you're doing? Are you dumb as dirt? 
How in the world could you do something like that? You must be an absolute idiot. How many figured out Jesus didn't do that? Did his flesh want to? Maybe. He was tempted in all points like as we. But instead, he took the bread, and that was a sign of, of great honor in their culture. I wonder how many times you and I can do something like that when somebody who seeks to do us wrong, they do it on purpose, and perhaps they even do it vindictively. Maybe they do it for personal gain. Maybe somebody says something that's not true about you in the workplace, and they do it so they can get a promotion, and you know full well, and they know they're not tra telling the truth to the authorities at, on the job and they kind of look at you out the side of their eye with a sly grin and you know they know what they're doing. They know they're lying through their teeth. Then they get their promotion instead of you. Could you take them out to lunch and not say a word about it? I don't know about you, that would be a challenge for me. Would it be you? How about Stephen? Here's Stephen, the first martyr of the church, Acts chapter 7. He preached a sermon, I mean... I mean, he went through the whole Old Testament, talked about the Old Testament patriarchs and talked about what God had done for the Israelites and talked about God doing something fresh and new in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he challenged the religious people of his day so much so that they got angry enough at him. They started throwing rocks at him. And they, as he was dying, as Stephen was dying, my goodness, taking his last breath, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. You know what we would be saying? What's the normal thing to say? You know, God's going to get you. You're going to pay for this, dude. You know, you might kill me today, but I'm going to tell you, payday's coming for you, and I can't wait for it to come. Did you know often that's the American way? Huh? I just read in my devotional time, and I've got to hurry along here. I read in my devotional time this week that we as Americans have a hard time with, with forgiveness and showing mercy because it's bred in us to be right and to make it right. It's in our movies, it's in our novels, it's in the things that entertain us. What is not in us is to forgive and let go. That's something uncommon to the American person, but how many know it is the godly loving thing to do? Huh? Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. You know, we would be praying, God, sick them, get them. Let lightning fall. You know, let a big thunderstorm come. Let a tornado come. Rip this cross up out of here and get me off. No, 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 no. No, Jesus was kind. And love is kind. It does something active to the person who treats it the wrong way. Perhaps uh, kindness helps us understand what Jesus said. Matthew five forty four. I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. One of the books that I have read for, I think I've read this book for um, probably over 40 years. My original copy is in shreds in my office. I have a digital copy now. And it's the book that Kenneth Hagin started his ministry with in 1934. He started his ministry. And, and when I went to Rhema in 1980, Kenneth Hagin's Bible School, I, um, uh, he shared with us that he started his uh, ministry with his Bible and with one book, and it was the book, The Life of Faith, by Mrs. C. Newsom, who was a missionary to Mexico. The copyright on the book is 1928. We actually have it in our bookstore, hard copy. You can find it, Amazon digital copy, and I have read that book 
Actually, I think it's uh, iBooks, digital copy. I've read that book hundreds and hundreds of times. Chapter 16, it's, it's, it's entitled uh, Love and Faith. And chapter 16 has raked me over the coal so many times and helped mold me and has been working on changing me all these years. Mrs. C. Newsom in the book, The Life of Faith, she said, love works by being kind under long continued suffering. Real deep suffering brought upon us by someone else. Love will be very kind to that person. So here's a question for me and you. What's gonna happen this week when somebody doesn't fulfill a promise? When a business doesn't fulfill an obligation? When somebody does something that they and you know is wrong and they do it on purpose and they do it anyway and it in some way upsets and tilts and aggravates your life? What are you going to do? to do are you going to do the flesh thing am i going to do the flesh thing or am i going to love them in some tangible way it's a big question right hmm. number three love is not jealous we'll just move right on i was talking to the lord in the prayer room before i came out and said god it's going to be really quiet today and it turned out to be true number three love is not jealous or Love does not envy. Amplified New Testament again says, Love never is envious, nor boils over with jealousy. That Greek word zelus, where we get our word zealous. So you get the idea there's emotion involved with envy. How many get the idea from what he just said? There, there are really two kinds of envy. The first kind of en envy is where I want something or some skill that someone else has. I may want the money they have, I may want the possessions they have, or some skill set they may possess, or something about them I don't have, they have, I want that. How many know that's envy? When you envy, and I wish I, I wish I could play ball like that. I wish I could do this like they did. I wish I could, I could talk like they do. I, whatever it is. And then the second kind of envy is where somebody gets really blessed and you're thinking they don't deserve that. Or somebody who doesn't deserve it gets really blessed. Inside you're thinking, I hope something bad happens. Dude, that is the flesh. Now you don't have to, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but every one of us have those kinds of thoughts. And it's opposite of love. Love does not, is not jealous. And love is not envious. It's not jealous in its relationships. I've got in my notes here, a person walking in love is not focusing on themselves. They're fo focusing, first of all, on their relationship with the Lord and they put themselves and their needs last. A jealous person, they're only thinking about themselves and what another person is or what's happening to them, how that's affecting them. Again, they're in the center of their world. They're jealous. I can just tell you, you know, by way of confession, I started out my life as a really jealous guy. I mean, I, I got to work and I, my first job, I'm jealous of the other people who I thought were working better than me, had, were smarter than me. I was jealous of them. I was jealous of their skills and abilities. Then I got my first girlfriend. This wasn't my lovely wife, Susan. I've never been jealous of Susan, but this first girl I died, I was jealous of her every day. She, I found out she gave me reasons to be jealous, but I was, but I was innately jealous. And then, and then my close friends, I found out I was jealous of my friends. I didn't want somebody else to take my friend's time because that's my friend, not your, that might be your friend, but that's my friend. How many know when you're jealous, you're thinking about you and not others? Huh? So love is not envious. 
Love is not jealous. Mrs. C. Newsom says this uh, about envy. It does not, about love. It does not desire the position, the honor, the power, the benefits, the favor, the esteem, or the blessings that others have. But is glad to see other people enjoy blessings and would rather help them get more than to take from them anything they have. You don't know how many times my feet, my nose has hit the carpet and I've said, God, it's me, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Number four, love does not brag. Love does not parade itself. New King James says, Amplified New Testament says, love is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. And uh, the, the Greek word there really talks about a person being a braggart is where we get the word braggart or a person who parades their accomplishments, who parades their talents before others. They're always talking about themselves. William Barclay said this, I love this, the really great men and women never think of their own importance. Isn't that good? So this person who brags, that's a person who loves to show off. And you know, over the years, you, you and I, you've seen just what I've seen. And ch children love to brag. I don't remember, this was years ago, probably back in the 80s, when Susan and I first started having our children. We went to somebody's house, and we were sitting in the living room, you know, just having a cup of coffee, you know, just fellowshipping with the couple. And their little uh, little toddler came out. Now, I mean, this little guy's four, I don't know, four, four years old, maybe five or so. But he comes out every so often. He runs back to his bedroom, and he runs back, and he gets his new car. And he says, and he didn't ever say anything. He said, he wanted to show me his new car. I said, that's really nice. That's, that's a nice car. Wish I had one like that. That's nice. Then he run back, you know, and he come back again, and, and he brought his brand new ball. I got it. You know, he said, I got a ball. Look at my ball. I got a pretty ball. And, and, and then he goes back and he takes that back, comes back. And then he's got a shovel and, and he's got a bucket. Look at that. I'm playing the same. Then he goes back again and his mama's bought him a brand new pair of shoes. Look at my shoe. You've seen that, you know. And we laugh when kids do it. You know, the problem is a lot of people grow up and they forget they're still doing the same thing. Yes or no? If you got to brag about your car about your new job, about your salary, about the housing condition where you live, about what you can do, about how much you did. You know, you just need really to shut up. That's not the kind way to put it, but just, you know, bluntly, you kind of get the idea, right? You're bragging on yourself. Nobody likes a braggart. And you know, the truth is, if you're raised in a family like that, you can do that and not even be aware that you're bragging. Did you know that? Often we're blind to our own stuff and we're not blind to what other people do. So how many know how many know a person that brags is a person who is insecure? They're insecure in who they are, so they have to do things and say things to prove who they are to other people. So how many know that you when you're secure in God's love, that He loves you, when you're secure that you're in Christ, then personal accomplishments and talents all they are are things that God uses through you to bless other people and give Him glory. Huh? If you always want, look at me, think about me. When you do something well in the office and maybe they give you a little pat on the back in the big office meeting. 
You know, when you're on the way home, are you reliving that, rehearsing? Look at all those people were looking at me. He patted me on the head. He shook my hand. I got that medal. I got that, you know, just, I got that new thing, you know. I got that check. I got that, you know, whatever. And look what people thought about me. How many know that's called bragging inside? And you know, if you brag on the inside, you're going to find a way to let that be seen. How many hear that? But you know, when we're secure in God's unconditional love, we can be used by Him in the way that He created us, and we can hide ourselves. I'll never forget, I read a book and I've got to hurry. Everybody okay? We're almost done, believe it or not. i got three more. I can go through them fairly quickly. There are, in, in Isaiah 6, Isaiah saw angels. They, he saw the throne of God and he saw angels. And the angel had two wings. He covered his head. With two wings, he covered his body. And with two wings, he had six wings. With four wings, he covered himself. And that's like God. God is the God in his thesis there. I don't have time to cover it. Is we have a God who hides himself. Do you hide yourself? Do I hide myself, my accomplishments, or do I want to be on display like a peacock? Do I want people to say, had a boy, had a girl. Man, that's you're great. If you do, you need to do some praying. Love does not think, Mrs. C. Newsom said, I know how things ought to be done. My opinions and advice are better than the opinions and advice of others. I live better, am used of God more, know more than the other person. Mm, that smells really bad, doesn't it? Number five, love is not proud. King James says love is not puffed up. In fact, that, that comes from a Greek word that means to inflate. And a person who is proud, they inflate their own importance within themselves. And they want other people to know that they're successful and important. It's self-congratulation. How many know it's just absolutely not necessary? How many hear me? And so, love is not proud. How many know the one thing that I, boy, this gets my attention. God resists the proud. Now, you know, I figure you got enough trouble with life as it is. You got the devil resisting you and then people that know him resisting you. I mean, you've just got the fallen world resisting you. How many want God resisting you? So the moment I get puffed up with pride, I mean, God sets himself against me. God resists the proud. That's why it says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up. How many know humility is something we all need to work on? I mean, you know, I've had such a problem with pride in my own personal life. I think there's a root of pride a mile deep in the Horton home. That's just what I think, the way I was raised and in my ancestry, because I've had to deal with pride in my own life. When I was a young boy, I just came to the Lord. In fact, I put it on my Facebook page a couple of days ago because it means so much to me. Isaiah 57, 15. Thus saith the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. I can say that because I've been saying it for over 40 years. I first came to the Lord in 1976. Isaiah 57, 15 came to me. And I, I literally got down on the floor in my, in my bedroom and said, God, I am a proud, proud guy. And I ask you to forgive me for my pride. And you know, every day I pray, if I can, I guess I can say this, huh? this is what I do. This morning I got up, set, uh, uh, my upstairs, I have a little chair I pray in, I kneel over it. Every time I kneel in that chair, and I do it in my office, I got a chair I pray. I like to kneel when I pray. There's something about kneeling that helps me. 
I mean, I don't, I think God would hear you if you're standing on your head. But I kneel. Why? Because I need, I need to contrite myself. I need to humble me. You know what I say? I start every time I pray. I say, Father, Father, I humble myself under your mighty hand. Because pride's a big human problem. Pride got the devil kicked out of heaven. And pride will hinder your life. Pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. I don't have a lot of time to develop this, but if you have an issue with pride, seriously, the only way I know to deal with it is wrestle it out with God on your face on the floor and ask Him to help you with pride. And I promise you, He'll put you in situations where you will be humbled. And I could tell all kinds of stories about that. Uh, number six, love is not rude. Everybody say rude. Um, Amplified says it is not rude, love is not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. This is a word for proper social graces. And if there's anything America needs today, it's proper social graces. How many hear what I'm saying? You can be rude with your attitude. You can be rude with your words. People are using words now in public that people would only whisper in private just a few years ago. How many hear what I'm saying? Something has given our culture permission to become crass. And it's a very, very sad thing. And how many know you can also be rude with how you dress? Yes or no? If you dress in a provocative way that shows all your body to the opposite sex, you are a rude person. And we've got a lot of rude people walking around in our culture today. Would you agree? Rudeness is doing the right thing and doing it all the time. A loving person will not say or do things or assume attitudes of which later he or she will be ashamed or that would bring shame to Jesus or to his kingdom. How many hear what I'm saying? Huh? Love works hard at doing what is fitting, appropriate manner. So ask yourself, Lord, is there any way that I'm rude with how I carry myself to others? And now, for some reason, people think it's cool to be abrupt. It's not cool to be abrupt. How many hear me? To others, people that you that you don't know. Now, in the context, like me, I'm your pastor. I'm here speaking. If I say something and it may be a little curt like I did earlier, it's in the context of the whole of what I'm saying. But you don't do that in public with someone else that you don't know because that's called rude. How many hear what I'm saying? You know, we, we don't forget we represent the king. And we should act like we're honoring him and representing him. Well, number seven, lastly, love puts others first. Amplified says love, God's love in us does not insist on its own rights or its own way for it's not self-seeking. Love is not self-seeking. Not Love is not selfish, it's self-last. Did you get that? It's self-last. One of the major problems with Adam's sin is self-centeredness. Adam and Eve got their eyes off of God and got their eyes on what the enemy said to Eve that she could be as smart as God and that tree would be desired to make her wise. She'd be as smart as God. So she said, you know what? I'm going to do what I want to do. She saw the food was good. She saw that fruit was good. It was beholden to her eyes. It would taste good. It looked good. It smelled good. And it would make her smart. 
And what it did is it caused all of us to have a problem with self-centeredness. And that's the reason in every gospel, some gospels, Jesus said it more than twice. He said, if any man come after me, let him deny himself. Why did he say that? Because the very root of the nature of sin is that nature to have my own way, to do my own thing. Somebody said the devil's theme song he got from Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. How many hear me? I don't know about you, but that's something we all have to wrestle with. This book I've read, I've read this book about three times in the last two years. Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People because I'd heard about it, but I'd never read it. And you know, every time I read it, the thesis of the book blared at me. And the thesis of that book is if you want to get along with other people, put them in the center of the conversation because... Everybody thinks of themselves first. Y'all, that is a human problem. And that's a problem with you. And that's a problem with me. And the only way you overcome it is through the love of God. How many hear what I'm saying? My, my, my. Mrs. C. Newsom. How many of us, when we have a real right to a place, a time, an honor, a benefit, or a possession, refuse to strive for it? Refuse even to keep it, but cheerfully, gladly, let another have it. So, so when somebody else gets the promotion at work and you don't get promoted, can you smile and say, praise God, I'm glad they're blessed? Or are you thinking, oh, that's you. Uh, when the pastor or a church leader recognizes someone else that worked hard and you worked harder and they said nothing about you, can you still smile? If you can't, you're ruling instead of love. Right?